0: Four, Part 2 from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Mike Yi. Our passage today comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 31 through 37. And it says, if you want to follow along here on the screen, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought, uh, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Um, let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer just one more time. Just us ask, ask him to bless our time here together. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, once again for this time of baptism. It fills our hearts with joy to see babies being dedicated to you. And Lord, we believe as you, the spiritual parent, that you feed us like babies. Not just in a worldly sense, but in a spiritual sense. So God, as we dig into your word today, we pray your blessings upon it. We pray that it fill us up, Lord, with spiritual sustenance. Let our hunger and our thirst for you be quenched for a moment, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Have you ever experienced something that just wasn't as great as what was initially advertised? You ever do that? You ever experience something, you, you hear that it's so great, but then when you actually experience it, meh, it's okay. I grew up kind of an awkward kid. Uh, I didn't have too many friends. I didn't know how the whole social interaction stuff happened. And I have, you know, I have all my reasons for being that way and whatnot. But uh, the world was just not very good to me. Uh, As a child and well into my adult years, I was definitely marginalized. And you know how, you know, how, you know, um, kids are, you know, they, they can be pretty brutal to one another, you know, and I grew up that way. But one of the things I did do was I definitely read my Bible. That was the thing that I did. I I read my Bible. And while I was reading this Bible, I read about this thing called church. And church was supposed to be this wonderful place where everyone found community, where where nobody had need. And that people were generous with their time and their energy and their patience and their commitment and, and whatnot. It was supposed to be a place where marginalized people like myself could go and feel accepted. It was supposed to be that place where people took care of one another. Down to even the, even the nitty-gritty stuff where like if one person just didn't have bread in their house, that the other uh, somebody from the church would bring them. Bread. I I really believe that in a very, very literal sense. I believed in the church that we just read about right now. It was supposed to be this refuge from the world, it was supposed to be different than the world. But I found that in all of my years of experience at church, the reality of church and the church that was advertised in the Bible didn't match. The reality didn't match what was advertised. Do you maybe f- feel a little bit of that today, some of you? Some of you this morning? Perhaps you have some needs that have been unmet by the church. Needs that maybe, maybe you had uh, expected to have met, but then in reality, when you came and experienced the whole thing, your, your needs were just simply not met. I know some of you came to church expecting a really deep spiritual experience with really heavy Bible study and, and uh, prayers that, pra- prayer services that have, like, you know, um, emotions running, out, ra- running around everywhere and things like that. Um, and then when you came and you experienced it, instead of finding that deep emotional experience, spiritual experience. You found it to be dry, like the dry bones in the desert that Ezekiel talks about. Or perhaps you came to church because you had heard that the church could help you with your physical needs. You had heard that the church has affluent people with jobs that they can give you and education that they could give you. Perhaps you came with the expectation that they would they, they, they would even share some of their bounty with you. But, then you came, but when you came and uh, participated in church, you found that people were less than generous. Or perhaps most of you are like myself. You came to church expecting to feel like you're a part of the community. Perhaps you came expecting that your need for community would be met. And so what you did is you did everything that you're supposed to do. You joined a small group like preacher told you to do. You served in a ministry like you're supposed to. You put yourself out there. You've, you've asked people to coffee. You've set up play dates. You've, put, you've, you've done it all. You're, you've done everything that you're supposed to do. And you expect the church, the church to respond and take care of you. But you found that your reality and what was advertised didn't match. If this is you in any, w- any way, or maybe in ways that I didn't even mention, if this is how you feel, as one of the leaders in this church, I want to apologize on our behalf. Because here's the reality. There is no such thing as a perfect church. And we are a broken church, just like all other churches. But we are trying. We are trying to be better. We need to be better. We are a community that is, that is trying to be transformed, not, at, not just at the individual level, but we're trying to be transformed as a community closer to the expectation that God has, had, has of us. Now, God has a lot of expectations for his church that is outlined throughout Scripture, but for for time purposes and also um, just trying to stay grounded to the text that we read today, we learn about a couple of things that God truly expects from his church. I want to become like this supernatural community that we just read about. I want it, and I think that I speak for a lot of people in this audience to say that you want it too. So how do we get there? How do we get to be that supernatural community? And in in order for us to do that, I want to just answer two questions today. First question is, what does a supernatural community look like according to this passage? What does a supernatural community look like? And the second thing I want to answer is, um, how do we get there? How do we become this supernatural community? What is the expectation how do we get and fulfill the expectation? Those are the two things that I want to talk about today. Okay, and so the first question I want to address is what are the expectations? What do we need to be? What, what made this church so supernatural? In the six verses that we read, there are two major attributes of the church that really stuck out to me, and that is unity and generosity. Unity and generosity. Those are the two things that really stuck out to me. Um, In verse 32, it says that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, the fledgling church up to this point has grown. The Bible says that they had 5,000 men at the church. But this... um, this figures is actually a little bit misleading because back in the day when they wrote the Bible, they only counted the men. When, they, when it came to counting people and whatnot, um, they only counted the men. So when they say 5,000 men, that's a little misleading because here's the thing. Those men, highly likely they were all married or most of them married. They highly likely had, a, had some children. And so, the, according to scholars, the actual number of the church numbered somewhere between 12 to 15,000 people, 12 to 15,000 people. So, this is the, the fledgling church, and here's where it gets really, really crazy, okay? Scripture tells us that they were all one in heart and mind. They were all one in heart and mind. They were unified. They all decided, 12,000 people decided that getting together and sharing all their possessions was a good idea. They got together and all freely gave up their rights to personal property. That's what they did. This is a miracle, folks. I don't think you quite understand. Let me, let me paint you a picture of why I think this is a miracle. 12,000 people coming to this conclusion, okay? You ever try to get a bunch of family and friends together to eat? Oh my God. It takes about a week to just decide on the date. There is entire internet services like Doodle where basically what you do is you, you, you you create like an event, lunch, you know? And um, you, send this, you send your available dates to all of your friends. And all of your friends go and sit there and click on the ones that work for them. And, you know, after everybody responds, and please, those of you who received doodle doodle um, polls from me, please respond. Um, <laughs> uh, after everybody responds, you look at the date that works best for everybody, and then that's how you decide. It takes about a week to get that whole process done. And then let's not even talk about where we're going to eat. Folks, we can't get five to ten people to agree on anything. But 12,000 people agreed on something. Do you see the miracle here? Do you see the absolute miracle that is taking place here? Metro, when was the last time that we as a church agreed on anything? You know, when was the last time we as a community got behind one cause and said, we're all in for this? When was the last time this has happened? You know, organizations of people are fragile at best. Their unity is fragile at best. Because all you have to do is say something controversial, and all of a sudden everyone is spiritually divided. It's, and it's true for any human organization, including the church. Watch me split us right now by just saying just a simple few words. Make America great again. Trump is right. Black lives matter. Immediately in this moment, we are divided. We're not unified. We are divided just just by saying those words. How fragile is our unity? And yet... The call that God has on our lives as a church is to become unified like this church. 12,000 people getting behind the idea of selling off all their property and laying it at the feet of the church so that the poor among them could be served. Craziness, craziness. So we see that a supernatural community exercises the miracle of unity. Now, it is not an accident, folks, when Jesus says, when two or more are gathered, there I am with them. Because here's, here's the reality of it. In unity, there is power. There's power in unity. Okay? The more unified a group of people are, the more powerful they are. In every circumstance, from large to small. You know, I mean, even in even the smallest thing, think about this. Like, I, um, when, when I was a kid, when I was about 16, 17 years old, my mom, um, uh, I, I, you know, I had a larger frame. I was a strong kid, so she totally abused this. And um, she made me move furniture around. And, um, <clears throat> and I, remember, I remember, like, on the days that my brother was around, who was, like, nine at the time, it was so much easier to move the piece of furniture. Right? But imagine if my brother and I had completely different ideas of where this 5,000-pound cabinet should go. You know, if he said we should, we should put it over here and I say we should put it over here and we're not unified, there's no power in that. The cabinet will never get moved. But on the other hand, when you have twelve to 15,000 people all giving up their possessions to serve the poor among them. What a powerful message to the rest of the world. What a powerful testimony of the power of Christ. Folks, this is what we are called to. This is the expectation of us, the church. We're not there yet. I get it. But we're working towards it. And you know what? We see glimpses of it. You know that? You know, I, 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 um, <clears throat> I didn't mean to depress us. I didn't mean to bring us down and say that, oh, we're completely in, in disunity. It's not true. That's not true. I'm a hopeful person. I like to look for the hope in things. And there's something that happened just about a month ago that showed that we can indeed be unified in something. About a month ago, if you remember correctly, we had Special Needs Sunday. And Pastor Shirley came up here and she just, just blew the roof off with her message. It was beautiful. It was outstanding. It was literally one of the best messages I had ever heard, including all the celebrity pastors. It was awesome. You should, if you haven't heard it, you need to go online and you need to listen to it again. And basically, um, I'm going to like um, spoil the message for you. But basically, she was saying that But if the church truly is a body, then every part is important, even the smallest of the body, because the smallest part of the body can often be the most important part of the body. And so therefore, the smallest part that may not seem to have any function at the time needs to be treated with special honor, with special intensity. With special care. We need to specially care for those who are differently abled. That was her message. Do you remember how we as a congregation was during that message? All of us were on the edge of our seats. The place was packed out. And we were all unified in heart and mind. There is not one soul in that room on that day that was in disagreement with this. We were unified in heart and mind. And we we're all ready to hear how we can jump in and help and get involved in this. We can't, it is possible, folks. It is possible for our church to be at that level of unity. That, on that day, we saw something supernatural happen. That is a miracle that happened that day. We can do it again. We can do it again. I believe it. A supernatural community exercises the miracle of unity. But then, also, not only were they unified, they're also supernaturally supernaturally generous. Okay, Uh, verse 33 says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so here's where the miracle continues. It said that nobody had need. 12,000 people, 12 to 15,000 people, however uh, many people it actually was, somewhere in between there, nobody had need. That means nobody, not one of them, had their heat cut off or their light cut off. Not one of them had their cars repossessed. Not one of them had had to make the choice of either buying medication or food. Not one of them had to eat rice and sardines for dinner. Not one of them had crushing credit card debt or student loans or mortgage debt. Not one of them was evicted because they couldn't afford rent. Not one of them. And you know why that happened? You know why none of them had need? Because those who had much were selling stuff off. They were were selling off their homes. They were selling out their stocks and their bonds and they're draining their 401ks and their savings accounts and they were, their vacation funds were being drained and the piggy banks were being smashed. They were all cashing out so that Mr. Davis can have his back surgery. So that Mrs. Lee can eat something other than instant noodles for dinner. So that Ms. Johnson can, get, can afford the legal representation that she needs. That's what was happening in this church. We need to be generous like the supernatural community was generous. We need to, leave, we need to reach that level of generosity. That is the expectation for our church. We need, to, we need to get to that level, folks, of generosity. I think, though, generosity in church has gotten a bad rap. Okay, let's be perfectly honest. When you think generosity, the first thing you think about is emptying your pockets, right? I gotta give money to this. I gotta give money to the building fund. I gotta tithe. I gotta do this. So whenever we hear generosity from the pulpit, we immediately think of something negative, and it's terrible. Because here's the thing: I I get it. I understand why. Because we associate the word generosity with the word emptying. We're emptying our pockets. We're emptying our bank accounts, and and um, so therefore we begrudgingly give. We do it because God said so, or the Bible said so, or preacher told us that that God said so. We do it begrudgingly. We hate doing it. We associate it with emptying. But in reality, the word generous is a positive word. It's supposed to be a positive word. It's supposed to be a word that fills you with good feelings inside. Let me give you an example, okay? We got Thanksgiving coming up, right? we're, gonna, we're all going to go to our, our cousins and mothers and fathers' houses, and we're going to sit down, and they're going to put a generous portion of food in front of us. Just imagine that with me. Think about that, that positive feeling that's coming out. It's about to get bet, even better, okay? You take that generous portion of food, and you eat it, causing your belly to become more generous, And as you sit there with your generous belly hanging out over your belt buckle, you are compelled to put on more generously fitting pants. Are these not positive things? Not if you do it every day, but it's a positive thing. Because here's the reality. Though we associate the word generosity with emptying, what it really means, it's, it's, a, it's a word that's associated with filling up, being full. The reason why the first church was so generous was not just because they were, they, they were just good people. It's because they were so full of the spirit. They were full of the spirit of the living God, so much so that they were forsaking their possessions. They said, my brother, my sister has need, and I've got this house. I don't need the house. I'm filled with the spirit. I don't need all that. My brother and sister can have it. That's what happened. They were filled up. Now, I told you that we see glimpses of unity within our church, but do you know that we see glimpses of generosity in our church as well? You know, I see people, yes, absolutely tithing, giving away your your funds and stuff, but I I also see people giving away their time, serving on ministries and and, and whatnot, and giving away their energy. Oh, my God, how many of you are parents are in, in here? Parents, parents, parents. Okay, so you know, you understand that energy is something that you have a very, very limited supply of, okay? I have about three minutes' worth of energy with my kids. About three minutes. That's all I got. My wife has a much bigger tank, but mine's about this big. And I see people who have kids of their own, who have no energy to spend, go into Metro Kids and spend time with my kid and spend their energy on my kid. That's generosity, I also see people who are um, talking with other people who may be a little socially awkward like myself, you know, and really practicing the generosity of patience, asking questions and and, um, not making them feel like they're an outcast, just trying really hard to make them feel welcome at our church. I see that. There are so many ways of being generous at our church. But then there are also two levels of generosity, in my opinion. There's common generosity, which is what what I just talked about. But then there's this supernatural generosity, this upper echelon of generosity that is just outstanding, something so amazing that it confounds the mind. We have a person in our church that I know of who has quickly become my spiritual hero. And she is amazing. Let me tell you about this woman. This woman is a newlywed. She, I, think they just, um, I think they just got over that, like, their first year anniversary or something. A real young woman. And um, <clears throat> she was scrolling through Facebook, and then she had seen a Facebook post by somebody else in our church calling for help because one of their relatives had fallen very, very ill. And this relative has gotten so ill that the kidneys were completely shot. And this person would die if they did not, they did not find a kidney transplant. And this woman, she got the news and felt compelled to go get checked out. And I'm sure you can figure out how this goes. She goes and gets checked out, and it turns out she's a perfect match. And she goes home. She talks to her husband about it. And they pray about it and all that. And that surgery is scheduled for January. It's going to happen. It's, it's real. You know, it's real. It's going to happen. It's amazing. You know, and here's the best part of it all. The surgery is all well and good. It's all great. It's, it's, it's a great testament. But here's the best part. I asked her this question. I, I was like, hey, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this for someone that you don't know? Or, I mean, I don't, I don't know if she's ever met the guy, but like, or somebody that you've never met. Why would you do this? You know what her response was? Because I want to be like Jesus. That's just, that's, that's outstanding. That is fullness of spirit lived out in a person. That is outstanding. That is miraculous. That is supernatural generosity. That is not a generosity that is common. That kind of generosity is what is supposed to be commonplace only in the church. That is the expectation that the Lord has of us, to have that level of generosity. So how do we get there? We answered, okay, what does a supernatural church look like? How do we get there? How do we become closer to the supernatural community? I I remember, like I said, we're never going to get there this side of heaven. Okay? I mean, maybe we will. Maybe that's my lack of faith. But, you know, we'll never get there. But we are always called to live into that expectation. So how, what can we learn? What, how do we get to that point of supernatural generosity, supernatural unity? And it's very simple, okay? Um, <clears throat> right before all the craziness happens, okay, right before everyone starts sharing their stuff and they're unified one in heart, mind, and whatnot, uh, verse 31 says, after they prayed... The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, two weeks ago, we, um, Pastor Peter came up here and preached a, a message on how Peter and John uh, were creating public disturbances. They were out and they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people were falling over in repentance and screaming loudly, and 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 that the, the whole town was going insane, and so the governing authorities came and arrested them. And they said, hey, what are you doing? Why are you creating this public disturbance? And Peter and John says, we're not doing anything. All we're doing is just we're, we're talking about our convictions in Jesus Christ. And no matter what the, uh, the, the Sanhedrin was doing to trying to figure out, like, what they had done wrong, they could find no fault with them because they did absolutely nothing wrong. It was not against the law to speak out in public about your convictions. And so they did the only thing they could do was let them go. And so Peter and John come back to this church, and the church is overjoyed to see them that they fall down in prayer. And scripture tells us that while they were praying, the ground shook. There was an earthquake of some sort. There was ground shaken. We live in America. We live in a society that stresses tangibility. We love tangibility. I love tangibility. But I've thought about the term tangibility for a while now. And I've come to the conclusion that tangibility means, it has everything to do with your five senses. Okay, if you can see it, if you can touch it, if you can hear it, if you can smell it, if you can taste it, then it's real. If it doesn't fit any of those categories, then it's not real. That's what tangible means. And here's the thing, folks. Um, I'm all about being tangible. I love being tangible. But if you really think about it, being tangible is really just putting yourself in a box. You know, it's a very limited way of seeing things. So I understand when people say that they don't see the point of prayer. I get it. I understand. Because here's the thing. Prayer is not tangible. Prayer is not tangible. Okay? Especially the results of prayer are not tangible. You can't put your hands on why prayer works. It just, we just do it because God tells us to do it or preacher tells us to do it. We, we do it because, you know, we're commanded. Not because we really f- always, like, understand it. But that's the mystery of prayer. And God invites us into this profound mystery called prayer. Here's why. When you, do, when you believe in tangible things and do tangible things, you get tangible results. But if you participate in intangible things like prayer, intangible things happen hear me on this. If you take part in tangible things, you get tangible results. If you take part in intangible things, intangible things happen, okay? If you partake in the uh, intangible act of prayer, miracles happen. You know that? Miracles happen. It is because the people prayed. It is because 12,000 people got together and prayed that there's this explosion of unity, of supernatural unity, an explosion of supernatural generosity. That was the key. That is the reason why this church became what it is. And that is God's expectation of us as a community, to be a praying community. I really believe that you know I really believe that we're supposed to be a community that's always praying and lifting up to God even though we may ne- never fully understand why we pray God commands us to do it and we see miracles happening I really believe I really believe I know that you know uh, we we have a we have a few um, regularly meeting prayer services here at Metro okay and um they're not very big you know we we have about um <clears throat> We have our Wednesday, Wednesday night meeting, which I'm, which I'm very proud of, and I'm, I'm kind of uh, the overseer of. We have about 20, 25 people who regularly show up. Now, this is a beautiful congregation who is always showing up, no matter what. It's craziness, right? I, I don't know why they come, but, but uh, they come because they want, they come to pray, and it's great. It's wonderful. Friday morning, same deal. They have about seven or eight people, and they come, and they, they sit with David Hosang, um, who... Uh, who did you know he wears sweats? <laughs> <laughs> he shows up in sweats and people are asking him questions about the Bible and stuff. And they're growing in their biblical knowledge and, and whatnot. And those are just the regularly meeting prayer meetings. I know that there are small groups that are also praying for the church. I know individuals are getting together and pray for the church. I can't, I, you know, I, I can't account for any of that. But let me tell you some statistics, some mathematics that I did in my head, right? If you were to just take... The, the, um, the Wednesday night prayer, uh, the number of people who are committed to Wednesday night prayer and the number of people who are coming out the Friday morning prayer meetings you get about about 32 33 33 people. We have about five to six hundred adults here at Metro okay? and this is, I'm, I'm not trying to shame you okay this is to encourage you okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> We have about five to six hundred people at Metro. if you do the math. The number of people who are regularly praying, not including the ones at the small groups are doing things on their own, is about 7.5%. 7.5% of our congregation is regularly praying for our church. Now, again, this is not to shame you. I'm not trying to shame you, but to encourage you. Here's the thing, okay? We saw glimpses of extreme, miraculous unity. We saw it. We witnessed it. Okay? We witnessed miraculous generosity, supernatural generosity, right here in our own congregation. We, we, we saw it. We witnessed it. And you know what I believe? I believe it's because 7.5% of the people prayed. Imagine what God is capable of doing if 10% of us prayed, or 25% of us, or 50% of us. How much more the manifestations of supernatural generosity and unity and all the other things that we haven't even talked about. How much more could we expect from God? So I have a charge for you all. I have a charge for you all. Folks, I want to continue this march towards becoming this kind of community where you, where we have extreme unity and extreme um, generosity. I'm committed to this. I'm asking you to commit to it as well. If you're not a part of a prayer group that is regularly praying for our church, come, show up. Come to our Wednesday night services. Come to our Friday morning services. You know, we, we have other ones going on as well. If you're single, I know that um, singles ministry about once a quarter, they host like a prayer and, um, prayer and worship night You know, go and attend that, pray for our church. I know women's ministry just started something, it's really cute, um, pizza and prayer. Pizza and prayer nights. I freaking love it. Two of the things I love most in this world, and I'm not invited to it for obvious reasons. The next one I think is next weekend? Yes, next weekend. Next weekend at the office, show up. Pray for the church. I wonder what miracles will happen in our community if more people came and prayed corporately for our church. Can we start right now? Is that okay? Let's pray for our church. Let's go to God in prayer right now. Can we pray for our church? Hey, oh man. Um, I know that's... Corporate prayer is something that a lot of us are just not used to. But I believe that God is calling us to it, to practice it. I really believe that. And I really think that he he, he wants us to start right now. And our church has a lot of needs that we need to be praying over. We have lots of things that we need to be praying over. And here's what I want to pray over just today today. In, just a couple, in these couple of minutes, we don't have a whole lot of time, so we'll keep it short. But I want us to pray for the generosity in our church. Remember, it's about filling up, not emptying. Right outside these doors, we have a food drive that's happening where we're taking donations for food and serving members right here in our own community. There are people in our community that need standard groceries, Can we pray over that? And we also have the angel tree project that's out there, you know, about for buying presents for the kids of the less fortunate. Can we pray for the success of this ministry? Let's do that right now. And I want you to do something really crazy. I'm going to be bold and I'm going to ask you to do something bold here. I want you to pray aloud if you can, with your lips. I know we're all used to, we're all introverts. We're all used to just like praying silently, but I want us to pray aloud for once. Just what does it, we have, we have about what? Three, 400 people in this room. I wonder what it sounds like for 300 people to pray aloud together. I wonder what that sounds like. Perhaps, perhaps we'll feel, maybe the ground won't shake, but perhaps our souls will be shaken. So let's, let's pray right now, just aloud. It doesn't have to be beautifully constructed it doesn't have to be a fancy prayer ramble it's okay god loves to hear your ramblings it's okay let's go from one subject to another it's okay so can we pray right now for just the, the food drive and the angel tree drive right now just to, for the less fortunate among us lord jesus thank you so much just for this opportunity just to pray lord to to lift up these ministries lord Lord, thank you, Lord, for this, this uh, the, the generosity that is brewing within our church, Lord Jesus. I know that there are there are people in this church that 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 we, that we as a community, Lord, can be united in heart and mind. We can do this, Lord Jesus, because you showed it to us here on earth once. The Scripture tells us that you've done this, Lord Jesus, and Lord, I pray we pray for this. Um, this, uh, the, this food drive and the angel tree stuff that's happening. Lord, we pray for the, its incredible success. We ask for supernatural success, Lord Jesus. We pray that, the, that there, there will be so many donations, so many things that they, they, they'll, they'll have to save stuff for next year, Lord Jesus. I pray for that to happen within our community, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Mm. God, bless us, O oh Lord. Lord, we see the expectation that you have of us and we admit that we fall short of that. But you have not left us without any hope. You've shown us that this expectation is not only possible, it's required of us. It's asked of us. So God, in whatever way that you are convicting us right now, Lord, Help us to promote unity among us. Help us to promote generosity among us. Thank you, Jesus, for all the work that you have done, and that you are doing, and that you will be doing in our community. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. If you take out your comment card or open up your app, um, there's a few next steps that I would like us to take. And as you feel led, go ahead and check off those boxes. And the first next step is like, I am committing my life to Jesus for the first time. If this is the first time that you're hearing the name of Jesus or is hearing uh, or you're hearing about um, His saving work through the church and stuff, and you're interested in maybe knowing a little bit more that you could potentially at, at least hear someone out about how this whole Christianity thing works, go ahead and check off that box first. One of our pastors will get in contact with you and then we'll, uh, we'll get together, have coffee or something. I don't know. Um, but um, <clears throat> second, I will commit to communal, communally praying for Metro by regularly attending Wednesday night at the well and or Friday morning prayer meeting. Hey, this is a regular thing that happens. Make room in your schedule, Please know we need your prayers our church needs your prayers please commit to it if you can commit to it you know there's no there's there nothing that can get in the way of this we you know we have people um, who show up to these services who have babies like we're not talking like just like older babies we're talking like brand new babies like three months old babies. They, they come in with their other kid, pray for a while, go take care of the kid, turn around and come back. And it, it's, it's, it's truly an amazing sight to see, you know? And if a mother like that could commit to showing up to prayer meetings and things like that, I think we can at least consider coming and making regular prayer meetings a part of our lives. Um, fourth, or third... I will exercise communal generosity by donating either goods or financially to the holiday food drive. If uh, this is something that your, your heart is exploding with right now, go ahead and check off that box and somebody will get in contact with you about your donation and perhaps what they need and whatnot. And so um, if that's something that's on your heart, go ahead and check that off. And uh, finally, um, please add, add me to Metro's community prayer list. Um, something I'm trying to get together is a list of people who are just committed to praying for our church. And what I want to do is I want to create this email list where, you know, every week we can just email out the, the concerns and the needs of the church so that we can all go to our, our uh, communal prayer groups and pray for the church. And I promise it's not going to be anything like, you know, very specific in terms of like personal things. Like I'm talking about like big level church stuff, you know. And so if that's something you're interested in, please go ahead and check that box off and make sure we have your contact information there. And uh, last thing, I think you really should... Prepare your hearts for next week um, by just reading the scripture, and uh, you're you're gonna you, you're committing to reading Acts chapter five verses one through sixteen before next week.